0: The inaugural episode of the Nessun Celtics podcast. We're recording on Monday, December 21st, the 129th anniversary of Basketball's Invention, no less. So shout out Dr. Naismith. I'm Alex Francisco and I'm going to be your host along with my Nessun.com colleagues, Dakota Randall and Adam London. So boys, how we living?
1: Doing pretty good. It's uh, it's good to get this thing going again. I mean, I know we call it the inaugural episode and that's true, but it's, it's actually the third iteration of the Nesson Celtics podcast because we had one a couple years ago hosted by myself and an ex-Nesson employee and then we had one last year hosted by Adam and an ex-Celtics employee so now third time's the charm hopefully this is the uh the Spider-Man franchise of the Nesson Celtics podcast
2: network so let's, let's do it. Yeah I'm thinking we'll get some good luck from getting the creator of basketball in the intro so you know hopefully that paves the way for the rest of the season.
0: It's got to be a good sign at least, right?
2: Yeah, anytime you can start with a Naismith name drop, you're doing good. Yeah. All yeah.
0: right, so intro is out of the way. Uh, we had a lot to get into you, with you guys before the start of the Celtics season on Wednesday against the Bucs. Uh, We got an interview later at the end of the show, getting some sports betting for you guys. But, uh, I mean, first things first, offseason recap. A lot went down despite the really short amount of time we had for an offseason.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a wild off season for the Celtics. Like you said, it only was what a couple months. Is that is that how long it was? It's a little over two months. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, yeah. I mean, odd. You know, the team looks way different, and and I don't know about you guys, but and I I think the general buzz around the team is that they've taken a step back. Um, I I think I feel that way. Um, I don't know what do what do you guys think? Is it the are people more down on the Celtics now than they were a couple months ago?
0: I mean, I think it must be mentioned, like that's the biggest off season story that we had, right? Hayward leaving. That was a huge shock. So, I mean, how do you replace the contributions of a guy who is like maybe your fourth best player in your lineup, but it's Gordon Hayward, like when healthy, a certified all-star.
2: Yeah, and I think people kind of failed to realize the modified expectations of Hayward. Obviously, you're expecting him to be this all-star guy and somewhat rightly so given the contract he signed here, but with the injury and other things factored, he kind of turned into this, you know, really good, you know, second team facilitator, which, you know, it remains to be seen now if the Celtics have that, you know, we'll see if we have it with Jeff T but I wouldn't be surprised at all early in the season, especially with Kemba out. If we, you know, Hayward's absence kind of, you know, pays dividends.
1: Yeah, disagree. Uh, <laughs> I think the the absence of Hayward in theory, it like the the Hayward absence in its theory is way greater than what it is in actuality, because for me and I like Gordon Hayward. I think he's a really good player. But off, first season that he was here, they make it to the Eastern Conference finals without him playing. He comes back. Obviously, his first season back, he wasn't the same. You, you know, you give him a pass. Celtics didn't do well that season. And then last year. He looked great at the start of the season. Then he got hurt. Well, he broke the hand. Then he hurt his ankle. And he just got in uh, to the lineup late in the playoffs when they were back in the Eastern Conference Finals. And so I don't think they've ever really, they've never really missed him. And they never really got enough from him to know what they would miss. And I think he was an awkward fit from the start. I just, especially when they did have their, we never really saw the full lineup with Tatum, Brown, and Hayward. But even when we did, I never thought it worked well enough. So I, I think, Well, on paper, it's like, oh, you're losing Gordon Hayward, a max contract player. How are you going to fill that? I actually don't think it'll be that hard because I don't think they got that much from him to begin with, despite what everybody wants to say about, you know, the metrics and how the ball moved with him, especially with the second unit. Uh, I think it's a little overblown.
2: And outside of the ball movement, I would say the one thing you might end up missing with him was that even with his regression from being an all-star player, he was still a guy that could create his own shot, you know, whether it be attacking the rim, you know, from, or from the outside and just looking at the Celtics roster now outside of, you know, your star guys, there's not really much scoring punch there.
0: So what I'd say to both of your comments is that like, obviously the Celtics had to get used to playing without him and they totally succeeded in that. But one major issue we saw with this team, especially deep in the playoffs was just like the almost power dynamic between like Kemba and Tatum, like Who's the guy? Who's going to be taking these shots? Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think were still a little too like young to come into that moment, but I feel like Gordon out there on the floor had a good sense of when to dish it, who is hot. And then not only like having him to rely on when Kemba Brown and Tatum just aren't hot and for him being able to take over the game and also drop 20 that that's, I think invaluable.
1: Yeah. Again, I don't want to to dump on Hayward too much. I just think you know, I I think it was the best move for his to career, for for him and himself and his career to get out of Boston because I just don't think, you know, at the end of the day, like if I if I could design the Celtics per, like, you know, in my image with Gordon Hayward, it would be the stuff you're talking about because I think he probably is, you know, he has a calming presence and unlike a lot of the players on the team, when things aren't going well for him, he doesn't just start jacking up more threes. You know, he can create his shot. I love his mid-range game, but I think the that's Celtics that's not the role
0: their- he signed up for.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think the Celtics at their core right now for better or for worse are we're going to shoot our way into this game or shoot our way out of it. And we're going to give it to Tatum at the end and see how it goes. And I just, I don't know if that was ever, that never was going to maximize Hayward, you know?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, no direct replacement there, but we also had some off season movement with Ennis Cantor gone. We have Brad Wanamaker gone. Danny Ainge brings in Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague in the offseason to upgrade both of those positions. Adam, initial thoughts on that, on those signings, and then have you either warmed up to your initial feelings or kind of not into what you were feeling originally?
2: Well, one note on the departures, I don't really think is much of a loss at all. I know sometimes it would be just easy to look at the stat line and be like, oh, 10 points over 10 minutes, but he he was brought here for offensive rebounding didn't do much of that he's an absolute liability on the defensive end so I don't think he's going to be missed much but as far as the additions I like Jeff Teague a lot and I thought he you know it's a great first step in his first preseason game I think there's just something invaluable about a veteran who's just not going to lose his cool like regardless of the situation you know he's been the league for over a decade now he's a guy that's going to be out there with poise and composure and as we've learned Stevens has kind of had his eye on him for some time and as far as Thompson it's it's there's like the painful irony of him ending up in Boston just for how long he tortured the Celtics when those Cavs teams were rolling and I mean just from a personality standpoint I think he's going to fit in great here just because you know he plays with a ton of grit hard-nosed guy but you know it, it remains to be seen how much he'll add to the offensive end.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think as far as Tristan Thompson, I think that's a clear upgrade over Ennis Cantor. I mean, he's a better rebounder, he's a better defender, he's a better offensive player. Uh, he started to shoot threes last season. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think what do you mean? He like had had not shot a single three for like three of the previous four seasons, and then he made like thirteen last year. Those numbers might be way off, but it's an approximation. Uh, so I think he's definitely an upgrade. And Adam, you alluded to it. I think uh, the championship pedigree, um, veteran who I think isn't afraid to tell them like it is. Sort of a, I think a Marcus Morris, but with a little bit more cred, in my opinion. Um, I love Marcus Morris, but I think you know Tristan Thompson fills that role even better. Uh, as far as Jeff Teague, uh, I like Jeff Teague. I think he's a good player, and I, l- I love what he brings on the offensive end. What I'm concerned about is. You know, defense at the point guard spot, if Marcus smart, you know, who has a tendency to get hurt sometimes, and, you know, if he gets in foul trouble or for whatever reason can't be on the court, even if Kemba Kemba Walker's back, your your defenders at the guard position are Kemba Walker, Jeff Teague, who's not a good defender and is not, you know, necessarily physically imposing, and then the Tremont Wanderers and Peyton Pritchard's of the world. Uh, So my concern with Jeff Teague is is purely defense. Um, That's a downgrade from Brad Wanamaker. But he's certainly a better overall player, so I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how that works out.
0: Yeah, I guess one last note before we move on from free agent signings is the impact that the Kardashian world is going to have with Tristan Thompson in Boston. Adam, I know, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're pretty in tune with pop culture, probably more so than me. I don't know about Dakota, but um, what do you see coming from the Kardashians taking Boston?
2: Well, yeah, a couple of years ago when we had the Celtics-Cavs Eastern Conference Final, the Kardashian angle became like a huge storyline. Like you kind of wrote it off as a joke, but like with the amount of headlines and news it made, it was kind of tough to ignore. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again uh, now that, you know, uh, Thompson's actually in Boston and, you know. There's really not a whole lot of personality on this team as far as, you know, gossip generators outside of Thompson. So, yeah, I imagine the Kardashian factor is going to bear its head plenty over the course of the season. Who, which Kardashian was Chris Humphreys dating?
0: Kim, he was married to Kim for like a few days, I believe. It was that Kim Kardashian's Kim first, Kardashian? it was his her first husband. And it lasted months, if not days.
1: Okay, so I don't know. Then I didn't know that. I thought he was married to like, I don't know one of the other ones, but I uh, I think I feel like I remember I don't remember that that him generating nearly as many Kardashian headlines. Uh, But that might have been because he wasn't very good, and maybe it just I don't know maybe it was just a kind of a different time. Uh, I definitely expect an uptick with Tristan Thompson because uh, I don't know he's just kind of a more he's got a bigger presence. He's a more popular player, and uh, I mean we've already seen them. You know, I think they were spotted at some Japanese restaurant in town.
0: Yeah, Uh, we're already seeing the reports of on TMZ of like mystery women that he's out. (laughs) That
1: turned out to be his real estate advisor. (laughs) So stupid. Uh, From our perspective, as uh, people who need to write a bajillion stories every day and 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 you know fostered partnerships with TMZ, uh, it's it's a good thing. I'm glad that Chloe's in town. Um, (laughs) I hate the topic. I hate the whole Kardashian, (laughs) but. You know
0: page views are page views
1: yeah yeah yeah. page views are page views and uh they, they definitely help i mean god the first kardashian related story we did once thompson signed was like our our top performing story of the month or something so it's uh it'll be interesting to see what happens there
2: if they stay together i mean from what i understand they're always on and off so i, don't know. I mean i'm already looking forward to Brad Stevens, who's not exactly, you know, a beacon of charisma gets asked a Kardashian question, how he's going to handle that. I'm looking forward to that one for sure.
1: Uh, just a, a boring, aw shucks, G. willikers response.
2: Yeah. yeah. You
0: know, but All most- right. Let- <laughs> moving on. We also had uh, obviously an NBA draft. It was kind of jammed in there too, right before free agency, but the Celtics took Aaron Naismith with the 14th overall pick. Peyton Pritchard at 26, 30. they traded it off to Memphis last minute who picked up Desmond Bain, a guy I really liked in the draft, not that the Celtics had the space or the finance to sign three first rounders anyways, but that brings us to number 47, they took Yam Madar, um, stash him away in Europe, he's still on contract there, so um, before we get into a kind of a preseason wrap up and talk about what we saw out of these rookies, I mean, just from a pure like needs vantage point, Dakota, will start with you just assessing how Danny Ainge handled this offseason.
1: Well, it's a good question. I mean, in terms of addressing needs, it's it, it's hard to say because I feel like he, he as always, he had big plans entering the offseason. It seems like there was, a, there was a lot of smoke to the rumors that he wanted to trade all this draft picks to swing a deal for Drew Holiday. Uh, I'm not sure I would have loved that, considering the the type of assets that were being rumored that the Celtics would have dealt. Um, but, you know, so it's one of those things where we hear we have all this stuff coming out of Boston now, how thrilled the Celtics were to get Aaron Niesmith at that spot in the draft. Um, forgetting that, you know, they didn't even want to make that pick. They wanted to trade it away and, and get a different player. So, We'll see. I think it's in terms of need. I think kneesmith fills a role. They, they need more outside shooting uh, for a team that shoots a lot already, but I think you can never get enough of it in today's NBA. Um, you know, maybe he's eventually going to replace semi-Ogele in that role um, or something along those lines. Uh, as far as Peyton Pritchard, I, I don't know. I don't get it. It seems a little redundant with Tremont waters. I feel like Traymont waters has more talent and has more upside and is more ready to contribute right away. Um, I don't know how, why you need another really small point guard, um, you know, is kind of a fun player. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm, you know, but I, expe- I expect more from Nismith this season. Um, and then, yeah, as far as, you know, everything else, I like, we, like we already said, I think Tristan Thompson fills a role that they absolutely needed. Um, it's just, I think, you know, I, I think it's more everyone else, a lot of other teams in the East did more to improve their teams. Some by default, like the Nets, where I don't think, you know, the Celtics, didn't do enough uh, to make, to keep pace. Although I'm not really sure what they could have done.
2: Yeah. Dakota touched on it. This year's Celtics draft was kind of Patriots-esque to me in a sense where there was so much hype for blockbusters heading in and it ended up being pretty boring, all things considered. Like, you know, you're waiting for Trader Danny to swing the big move and it was, it just kind of went shock. But Yeah, it was nice to see them address a serious or a need with Neesmith, just a guy that you hope becomes just a solid three and D. And, you know, he showed some signs of that in his first two showings, though, kind of looked a little bit lost defensively. Um, I agree with Dakota on um, Pritchard. It was just kind of a head-scratching pick for me. And if you're going for a reach of, you know, guard help, I think I would have liked a guy more like Malachi Flynn who went a couple picks later to the Raptors and just kind of seems like the Raptors always find these guys late somehow. Like you saw with OG a couple of years ago, I thought Flynn was kind of more polished, but I mean, what Pritchard lacks, you know, and maybe athleticism and, you know, defensive range, he, he clearly could make up for with just grit. I mean, he's got that Marcus smart tenacity to him and with Kemba being out, he's probably going to have plenty of opportunities to show his worth. So it'll be cool to see how those two young guys uh, make the most of their opportunities this uh, first few weeks.
1: Yeah, while well, I, I think a lot of us expect at least something from Aaron Nismith right away. And he seems like he could be a good player. Uh, you know, we have to remember, Danny Ainge has given us every reason to believe that he cannot hit on a mid to late round draft pick. Although it might be one I'm forgetting in there somewhere, but I mean, his record for drafting at the end of the lottery or in the middle or late in the first round has not been good. I saw something yesterday uh, that either, either one of you, take a guess, how old do you think James Young is? I actually know this,
2: so I'll stay out. I Calvin looked it up recently, so I'll stay out. He's
1: 25 years old.
2: That was the only reason I looked it up was in just my dumb brain. I was hadn't fully given up on James Young yet, even though he's like nine years into the NBA. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: it is pretty crazy. Yeah, he's, he's 25 years old. He's been out of the league for three years. So, I mean, I not to say Aaron Neesmith is the next James Young, but it's like, you know, I, I'll, I'll believe Danny Ainge hit uh, on a late lottery or, you know, mid first round draft pick when I see it. That's kind of how I approach it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best point. We're not going to know right now, probably not this season anyways. And really the biggest questions on the growth and development that will impact this team this year, this season are Brown and Tatum for sure. Um, this is the one year coming in where it's established that it's their team. They're the leaders on it. It's not Kyrie's team. It's not Kemba and Gordon's it's theirs. And they took huge jumps last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they take that jump again this year. I know also in the off season Tatum has made a huge jump off the field on the golf course. Did you guys read my feature story?
1: I did. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, I, I, I have two, well, I have many blind spots when it comes to sports, but I would say my two biggest ones are, um, sports betting, which we'll find out later on, uh, and golf. So I I'm someone who I look at Jason Tatum's golf videos and people say, wow, he looks really good. And I'm like, I have no idea if this is true or not. Um, Alex, I know you're way bigger into golf uh, and you talk to a lot of people uh, so is it is it true? Like, is, is Jason Tatum actually supposed to be pretty decent?
0: Yeah. So um, I spoke to his golf trainer down at Core Golf. It's a it's a crazy facility in Natick, Massachusetts. I think the number one golf, indoor practice facility in New England. It's just like a palace playland. If you cool. want to be an elite golfer or learn the game, so this guy Dan Boyzberg, he has. He's trained Tom Brady. He taught Tom Brady's sons to golf. Um, the Bruins are regulars over there. Jackie Bradley Jr., you name it. And when Tatum came to Boston, his stepdad really got into golf and started working with him, but really couldn't get Tatum to take up an interest until really the pandemic shut down. So in June, Tatum was back in back in Boston and started going back to this instructor and really went with this guy from – not knowing how to get the ball off the ground to like being able to hit pars birdies. So basically some people had written about Tatum's interest that he'd pick up in golf over the off season. He was golfing in the bubble a ton. And I really wanted to see how quickly he was able to like up his game and evolve and grow. And yeah, so, I mean, obviously Like, he's not out there like Tiger Woods at this point yet. I mean, I'm sure his short game could use some improvement, but, I mean, (laughs) look out when he puts it together, if he does.
1: Yeah, I want to see him pair up with Stephen Curry. Oh, no, you would pair up with a pro. Well, either way, I want to see him take on Stephen Curry in, like, a charity match or something.
0: Yeah, Tatum and teamed up with Woods or something. Love that. So 100%. if you guys, if you guys want to read more about that, you can find it on nessen.com. Just search my byline, Alexandra Francisco. And uh, let's get on to quick preseason recap. Sounds good. It was pretty ugly, but it's the preseason. Um, what stood out to you, Adam?
2: I would, well, first of all, I didn't really put much stock into what guys like Tatum and Brown did we know what those guys are going to look like when the games actually start meaning something so I was focusing more on you know the rotation players and I would say my biggest takeaway was that Robert Williams looked completely lost on the defensive end which is not a good sign because that's the guy that you were hoping would be you know somewhat of a serious interior defender this year especially you know with their limited depth to begin with and like there were some moments like when you're getting toyed around with by like an age, Dwight Howard, I know it's the preseason, but it, it was pretty concerning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree on the time Lord stuff. I think at the same time, I do have some hope that he can just be a rim running guy that fills like the middle of the game uh, and can court, sort of give them a spark off the bench. At this point, I've sort of accepted Rob Williams for what he is. Um, I do actually I am, or I, I do take something away from those preseason games for Tatum and Brown. I was a little concerned um, with the way Jason Tatum played because I think with Kemba Walker being out for the first for the first month at least of this season, uh, it, you know, I don't think the ball is going to move around as well as it normally would if he was in there. He's a great floor general; he moves the ball really well. Uh, and Marcus Smart, I, I think, is a little bit overrated in that regard, um, and so it's going to be on Tatum to t- to. To also, you know, help move the ball around and keep the flow of the offense. And I think too often in those two games, the ball stopped when it got to him and it turned into ISO ball, which I guess that's the way you do it in the NBA now. It's just all ISO ball and one-on-one for star players and Tatum is on that trajectory. So maybe I'm an idiot, but I just, I worry that, you know, without Kemba Walker in there facilitating things, Possessions are going to break down. It's going to get to Tatum at the end of a shot clock and he's going to do step back threes. And I also am worried on nights when Tatum isn't feeling it. Uh, he seems to get frustrated and it sort of snowballs. We saw that in the playoffs. Um, and so it's just something to keep an eye on. And and on Jalen Brown, you know, with Gordon Hayward gone, uh, it's now he now is the bona fide second option uh, and there's going to be plays called for him and you know, I'm not. I don't. I'm not taking any away from the, anything away from the preseason, but it will be interesting to see how he delivers in that regard. Uh, if he has it in him to be a legitimate number two option that, you know, creates things, has plays called for him, and isn't just scoring within the flow of the offense.
2: And another person that um, I was kind of impressed with in the preseason was Javante Green, just because last season. You really only heard his name in garbage time when he threw down like a ridiculous dunk. Um, but now just the way this roster is shaping up and with the injuries, it looks like there's like a real chance he be, could become like a consistent rotational player. So um, be interesting to see if he ends up making the most of that.
0: Well, it looks like he's really impressed Brad Stevens at this point. I mean, he went into the first preseason game kind of strategizing his starting lineup in that he's going to have that third wing that's just going to be rotated by all the younger guys, all the guys at the end of the bench, kind of seeing who fits best with Tatum and Brown's game. And I mean, Teague was the first guy to start in that role. And I mean, just the energy he really did bring to the court every time. I mean, I think it was like he instantly hit like a three and then got a block or a steal and then started off the second half of that first preseason game really well too. So Um, I definitely, I'm with you there, Adam. But
1: if Tremont Waters is on the team, uh, I expect him to actually have a role early on. Um, I mean, I think he could be a spark plug. Uh, And one more, just one more thing on Jalen Brown. This is just sort of a pet peeve. Uh, I'm over him trying to throw down the most gargantuan dunks in the league because I feel like he misses on like 75% of them. That's like, I don't know how many times I've seen Jalen Brown fly in go up to do some huge tomahawk dunk and try and dunk on everybody. And he just clangs it and it goes to the other end. I
0: don't know. I don't know about 75%, man.
1: <laughs> it feels like he had that one big one in the playoffs last year. That was like on all the highlight reels. I forget who he dunked on. That was sick, but I don't know. He, he tries to dunk hard on people and he fails so often.
0: <laughs> well, so kind of previewing, previewing the season here, they have another big jump to make from what they did last year, but with how the East is shaping up. Do you guys think Tatum and Brown are good enough? What's your thought on this, Adam?
2: So I want to say yes, but you also have to keep in mind that there's toughest competition in the conference got better. I mean, the Nets are a entirely different team now. You know, they're fully loaded. The Bucks, it should, I, you want to say they are, but that is a lot of roster changeover. So, you know, maybe they kind of start off slow, but, You know, with Giannis leading the charge, they should be fine. But yeah, I mean, this is really the year where you want Tatum to be, you know, a bona fide MVP candidate. We'll talk about it later in the show with Sam, but we're not saying he's going to win it. He's probably a long shot for that. But to at least, you know, be in the conversation is not, you know, a totally, you know, out there possibility. So, and I think Brown... It's going to be up to him to just kind of accept that Robin role because we, you do feel for Brown where his role has kind of been tweaked and modified so many times yeah. um, over the past few seasons. But I think now it's it's kind of clear the, the blueprint of, you know, this is Tatum's team and Brown's the like the close number two. So hopefully, you know, he can make the most of that. Yeah, I think the Celtics, uh, if they want to sort of continue
1: the tra- the trajectory they've been on, uh, they need Tatum to take, you know, an equally, an equally sized leap that he took last season. I mean, going into last year, it w- everyone was wondering was the down season, uh, with all the Kyrie stuff, was that just kind of a fluke because Irving was there and, um, and we all saw it last season Tatum became a legitimate superstar in this league, um, and if, you know, if they want to keep pace with the Nets and the Bucks and those kind of teams, maybe even the Miami Heat, I think Tatum needs to go to even that next level, um, you know, like a top 10 kind of player. Uh, I think he can. Um, we just got to see it. Uh, you know, I so I think that's got to be the big difference. It sounds, you know, I think it's it sounds lazy, but I think it's true. Your best player has to be your, your best player. And I think uh, Jason Tatum needs to take his game to even another level if the Celtics want to stay at the top of the Eastern Conference.
2: You know, and does he have the talent to do that? Absolutely. But he's not going to surprise anyone this year. You know, last year was kind of like, wow, this guy is way ahead of schedule as far as being like a legitimate superstar. And he's entering the league now, this season, being everyone knows who he is. You know, and he's going to be public enemy number one for defenders uh, each game. So he'll have to, you know, improve his own game while withstanding the pressure that he gets from the opponents.
0: Yeah. I mean, that being said, let's say everything goes well. Tatum makes another all NBA team. Brown makes his first all-star team. Kemba comes back and we never have to deal with his knee again. We get scoring off the bench, everything, everything. Um, what's the ceiling in that scenario?
1: You know, um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it more when we do our NBA standing rankings, but I, I think I I think the Celtics can be a championship contender personally. I mean, everybody, it's weird. Every year the Celtics exceed expectations. They get a little bit better. And then the off season and heading into the previous to the next season are filled with saying, "Wow, they're not good enough. They didn't do enough in the off season. They're bad. And then they come out that year and you're like, oh, wow. They're like one of the top three teams again. Oh, they're deep in the playoffs. And so I'm almost at the point where I'm done bagging on them. I have my concerns that I, that I mentioned earlier, um, earlier in the show, but I I do have faith in Stevens. I have, I have some question marks about him, but I I ultimately have faith in him and his ability to manage the roster. I love the Tristan Thompson addition. Um, I think the season comes down to, like I said, Tatum taking another leap and Kemba Walker's health. If Kemba Walker, you know, misses a ton of time, one that's going to hurt their, their seating, which could be everything. And if he's just in and out and he's just not really close to what he was last season, uh, it's really going to hurt them. But if all those things go right, I think they can beat anybody in the East. Um, whether they can beat some the one of the, some of the teams out West, uh, I think so. I'm in the minority on that, I think, but um, I think they can. Uh, but I, I, I think they have a shot to be a top four team in the East. I don't think that's a stretch.
2: I'd say my biggest concern, and we saw this a bit during the playoffs last year, especially in the series against the Heat, is can they stay the course when the going gets tough? I mean, some of those blown leads and inability to recover last year were pretty concerning when you consider the stage and the opportunity ahead of them. So this year, I think we need to see big time growth and leadership between both Brown and Tatum, and even to a degree Kemba, just because that he now with Hayward gone is like the veteran guy. And we touched on it earlier, hopefully, you know, Tristan Thompson can add that with his championship pedigree. But I would say just Kind of resiliency is one thing collectively they'd have to improve on from last season. Yeah, yeah, I would agree.
0: Would you put your money on an Eastern Conference Finals appearance?
2: Oh yeah,
1: yes, I would. Yeah. I mean, it ha- depends, you know it depends depends on what the bet looks like, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't hesitate to take the Celtics to to make it. I mean, what they've made it to three out of the last four Eastern Conference Finals, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bet against them.
2: I think I'd have to consult with Sam before I do that. Yeah, I can. I see what you're doing. I see that the same <laughs> development.
0: Well, you guys uh, definitely sniffed the drift I was putting down. So, all right, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Sam Panayotovich.
2: All right, we are now welcoming on Nessun's new betting analyst, Sam Panayotovich. Kind of throwing Sam in the fire here. It's you know it's bowl season, NFL playoffs are right around the corner but Sam is here today to talk about hoops. Uh, we've got the Celtics starting their new season on Wednesday against the Bucs. Celtics, you know, entering the new season. No, it's probably a, you know, a leading uh, NBA Finals uh, contender by a threat nonetheless. So, Sam, what are you looking at uh, those futures with the Celtics?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And I hear we have to bring Dakota up to speed on sports betting, and that'll be a challenge that (laughs) I, I welcome wholeheartedly. But when you look at the Boston Celtics on the surface from where they are as contenders in the Eastern Conference, the bookmakers tell a story with all of their lines. Now, there are different lines on the win total, and then there are different lines on their odds to win the East, and then, of course, to win the NBA championship. From the number standpoint, People like Boston in the regular season, but they're a little bit further down the page as far as the conference goes. So the Celtics actually have the second highest win total in the Eastern Conference. And remember, they play 72 this year, not 82. So for some context, Milwaukee has the highest win total in the East. Their number is 49 and a half. You have to go either over or under that. And this is a bettable prop at many sports books around the country. Milwaukee 49 and a half. And then guess who number two is? the Boston Celtics at 45 and a half. I like them a lot in the regular season. I think they're well coached. They may not be as deep as they've been in years past, but those players under Brad Stevens, I feel like they develop from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Guys continuously improve and they get better. So it's a different monster in the postseason when you're playing a best of seven and you know defenses are able to key in on what you do well. But from what Vegas is saying, Boston's going to win a lot of games in the regular season, but they're don't, they're, they don't have the firepower in the postseason uh, when you compare them to the Nets or maybe the Miami Heat and, of course, the Milwaukee Bucks, I don't know if, if you guys feel that's accurate or not, but Las Vegas is saying really good team in the regular season, but they have a lot to prove in the postseason.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, you know, what I, what I wanted to ask you about was, uh, it, listen, I don't think anybody on the Celtics really has a great shot at winning MVP. Um, But, you know, nevertheless, Jason Tatum has the highest odds on the team to to potentially win MVP. I believe Kemba Walker comes in second. Uh, Would anybody be crazy to, you know, to, to take any of the Celtics in the MVP odds or should they stay far away?
3: Look, if Boston is a one or two seed in the East and Jason Tatum is scoring 26, 27 points a game in his 23-year-old season, no, I I would not think that's crazy. It's still funny to me that, you know, he's 22 years old. He's born in March of 98. We're like, well, he may have reached his ceiling. That's sort of the national person. Like, can he take that next step? Of course he can. Derrick Rose won the MVP. He was 22. Uh, Luka Doncic is the favorite to win the MVP. He hasn't even turned 22 yet. So it's a young guys league. And I think you're going to see a lot of younger players in this 2020-21 season that have a lot of exuberance and energy and fresh legs. They have a chance to sort of catapult themselves into the mainstream. Like we're not going to see LeBron logging 40 minutes a night. In December and January same with Anthony Davis same with Giannis I mean is the Greek freak does, does it even matter to him in the regular season anymore like he's won the last two MVPs I think this plays well for younger players that have something to prove is Jason Tatum going to win the MVP probably not but you look at his number here 26 to 1 so 100 dollars would pay you 2600 and you would collect obviously the 100 back so 100 to win and collect 2,700. If he gets off to a hot start in December and January, that number will slowly decline. You could see it go from 26 to 15 to 10. And if he's averaging, like I said, 26 and 10 with five helpers, he'll be in the conversation if Boston is, in fact, a top one or a top two team in the Eastern Conference. So this is your time to strike now. You don't want to look up in March and go, oh, Jason Tatum's pretty good. Yeah, well, no kidding. He's been doing it for three or four months. You want to get the right player at the right price. And if he explodes onto the scene like some people think he can, 26-1 to could be a pretty advantageous bet.
2: Now, in staying on the topic of individual honors, a lot of people are thinking that Brad Stevens is on the hot seat entering this season. You know, he hasn't reached the finals yet in Boston, despite having a bunch of pretty talented groups. How do you like Stevens in the Coach of the Year race this year? <laughs>
3: That's a good question. I actually didn't know that he was on the hot seat. Excuse me, I'm new to town here. Are you guys insane? What is he on the hot seat for, for winning games? It's Boston, um, awesome, man. People, it's awesome. Yeah,
1: people say it. People talk.
3: No, I I believe you. I I just think it's amazing coming from a city in Chicago that had to deal with Fred Hoiberg and Jim Boylan over the last six or seven years. Those guys coached the Bulls out of games. Stevens coaches them in the games in Boston, at least from my perspective. So you look at some of the award numbers. I mean, Coach of the Year, Brad Stevens, right now is fourteen to one uh, to be the Coach of the Year. Rick Carlisle's the favorite. He's down in Dallas, and there's a lot built in with Dallas. Luka Doncic, Kristaps. If Dallas takes a leap, Carlisle's going to get a lot of play here. Steve Nash is also ten to one. We know the story there. He's got Durant and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Then it's Monty Williams ten to one, Eric Spolstra, twelve to one, Frank Vogel twelve to one, and then Brad Stevens at fourteen to one. I'm telling you, these odds are predicated on teams making big pushes. These are regular season awards, right? These are not postseason awards. These are regular season awards. And if the Celtics have a win total of 45 and a half, I would go over that. I think they can win 48, 49, 50 games. That might be good enough to get them a top two seed. And let's remember, they don't have Kyrie Irving. He's been gone a couple years. No Gordon Hayward. If they can still secure a top two seed in the East, Brad Stevens will get a bounty of votes. Uh, by the media, and 14-1, and to 1, look, 100 makes you 1,400. Uh, there are worse bets on the board than that, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that, Sam. I do like Stevens at those odds, and I think uh, the recent NBA general manager poll uh, of the best coaches in the NBA, I think they had Stevens at number three on that. I think it was Spolstra, Popovich, and Stevens. Uh, so, you know, the league thinks Stevens is a great coach, and, uh, yeah, I, I like Stevens at those odds, too. Um, now, let's, you know, let's, let's let's finish up and get you out of here. I know you got stuff to do. Uh, So let's talk about Celtics Nets uh, and props. Everybody loves prop bets. Uh, So are there any for the Celtics Nets Christmas Day matchup that you have your eye on?
3: Yeah, well, I'm going to defer to you guys on this because you guys are the Celtics experts at the station from what I can gather. So the point spread, uh, the initial number that came out last month, uh, Vegas puts out what they call look-ahead numbers. Uh, The line is not up right now for the Christmas Day game, but the early look-ahead number was Brooklyn minus one. So literally a one-point favorite, a.k.a flip a freaking coin in the air like who knows Um, but there are some fun props in the market if you're looking at the whole Christmas day by scale there are props on who will score the most points on Christmas day this involves all the teams all the players throughout the course of the day if I said all right I got 50 bucks right now is it a better bet to go on Jason Tatum at plus 750 so 50 times 7.5 or Jalen Brown Jalen Brown is 26 to 1 to score the most points on Christmas, that could make me uh, some pretty decent coin. Which one should I take?
1: I'm taking I'm taking Brown. That's a uh, that's a good bet. I'm taking Brown on that one.
2: Adam? I like Brown too, merely that he seems to always step up in these prime time games, you know. And these guys are probably itching to look a statement to make a statement against the new look Nets with you know Kyrie and KD in the building. So I like that Brown bet too. I also like Brown us- because
1: I, I expect Durant to play defense on Tatum. And uh, while I still think Tatum can find a way to get to get his points in that game, I don't, I don't see Durant giving up 40 points to Jason Tatum.
3: I will be rooting for Jalen Brown, and I probably, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, will bet this uh, when I get back to Illinois where I can bet because I still can't bet in Massachusetts yet. We've got to figure that out. But if <laughs> I put 50 bucks on Jalen Brown and he scores more points than anybody else on Christmas, I'll walk away with $1,300. And I like the sound of that.
2: That is a good bet. Change. <laughs> All right. Well, we once again, thank Sam, for coming on. I'm sure this uh, won't be the last you hear of Sam on this season's Celtics podcast. So we're looking forward to coming on next time, man.
3: Study up, boys. Be ready for next time. Thanks for having me. We will.
1: All right. All right Sam. Thanks, Sam.
0: OK, we hope you all enjoyed that interview with Sam. He'll be on throughout the season to talk and just really be a resource for you guys, because I don't know about Adam and Dak, but I'm useless when it comes to betting.
1: Yes, I, uh, I am also quite useless, and uh, Sam clearly knows what he's talking about. Uh, that's, he's now my go-to betting expert, and I'm not just saying that because he's a friend of the program.
0: All right, despite us being very unqualified to make predictions, um, when it comes to putting your money on stuff, I am willing to kind of throw out where I think things will fall with, in terms of conference standings. So um, let's just go rapid fire. Adam. East and West conference standings.
2: All right. Well, I have the Bucks repeating as the top seed in the East followed by the Nets at two reigning East champion heat at three Celtics, four Raptors, five 76 ers six Pacers, seven Hawks, eight magic, nine, and the Russell Westbrook led wizards at 10 out West. I got the nuggets first. I just think they're going to care about it more than anyone else in the West. Um, I have the Clippers, two, reigning champion Lakers, three, Utah Jazz, four, Mavericks, five, Trailblazers, six, Warriors, seven, Phoenix Suns, eight, Rockets, nine, and the Grizzlies at number 10. And my MVP prediction is Kevin Durant. I just think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder and really want to prove that he can lead a team that's not absolutely laden with superstars to the finals.
0: Okay, our Eastern Conference standings were literally identical until we got to the 9 and 10 spot. I had Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, Boston, Toronto, Sixers, Pacers, Hawks. And then I had Wizards, then Magic in the 10th spot for that play-in. Um, out West, I Lakers, Clippers. I did have Denver at third, kind of along with your thinking there. Um, I think Luka and Dallas make a jump this year. I had them at four and then rounded out by Utah, Portland, Golden State, Phoenix, Houston, and Memphis. Uh, MVP, like I said, I think Luka is going to take a jump this year. I think he's going to get a lot of playing time and really rack up those stats with Porzingis' health in question at the beginning of the season. So there it is. I think Luka Doncic is going to be your youngest MVP since Derek Rose.
1: Uh, Okay. I... Also have the Bucs finishing first in the East. Uh, I think Eric Bledsoe absolutely stinks and they needed to get him off that team. Uh, So I think that's going to be big for them. Uh, Then I have the Nets, who I think will do great in the regular season. I don't think they're going to do well in the playoffs. We'll talk about that some other time. Uh, Celtics three, Heat four, the Tampa Bay Raptors, number five. Uh, Then Sixers, Pacers, Wizards at number eight. I like them a little bit more than you guys. Uh, Hawks and Magic, pair of Southeast teams, nine and 10. Out West, I agree with you, Adam. I think the Nuggets finish first, and I agree with your logic that they're going to care about it more. With the Clippers, my number two team, and Lakers, number three team, both sitting guys as they always do. Um, Utah Jazz at four, Mavericks five, then Suns, Blazers, Grizzlies, Pelicans, and Kings. And my MVP, I agree with Alex. I think Luca is going to get it done this season. He's going to put up big numbers. And I also did Rookie of the Year, uh, LaMelo Ball, and Defensive Player of the Year. I think Marcus Smart gets it done, finally.
0: I hate to say that I think LaMelo is going to win rookie of the year, too.
1: Yeah, I uh, i don't know if I'm ready for it either. Hopefully, some of the uh, the national sports networks have learned their lesson and we'll let LaVar Ball on TV because that's, that's going to suck if, if he starts playing really well.
0: All right, well, really looking forward to see uh, who comes closest with these predictions by the time we get to the end of the season, boys. Um... All right, well, thanks for joining us this week. We're excited to come back after the Celtics have a few more games under their belt next week to rehash all that out. Um, I'm Alex. I've been here with Adam and Dak, and we hope you guys have a really happy holiday.
1: See you guys.